Hello and welcome to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Samuel Hunt. I'm Joe Stevens. And welcome back, listeners. Just us two this week. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've had a couple of guests on the last last couple of times, and they were very kind. Came on and showed us, you know, how good we were at what we do um, in comparison to other people. Wouldn't you say? That's the only reason we had them on, really. Exactly. It's, it's basically to make us look better. Not that we, not that Carl and Joe weren't valued guests. No, of course not. Uh, you know, not that I didn't spend hours in the editing suite <laughs> with Joe. Hey, hey, we won't name and shame guests who are called Joe Nichols. Um, <laughs> Poor Joe. Uh, anyway, Joe, ask me what I was doing last night. What were you doing last night, Samuel? I was watching The Spectacular Now on BBC Two. One of our hidden gems. Nice to see it getting a wider audience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, so we went to see a film last night, which we'll review a bit. Yeah. And I get home, and unfortunately I can't watch the whole thing because I was up very early this morning, and I've got to be very up very early tomorrow morning. Yeah. And it's quite late now, actually. It's pretty late. Yeah. It's unfortunate. But I, t- I like, got the guide up on TV. Yeah. I was like, so, no way. Yeah. It's a spectacular on What's right Mars Teller and Shalene Woodley doing on the screen? Exactly. <laughs> but I watched the... The bit we actually played a clip from where he tells her that she's beautiful and she's like no no and then they kiss yeah yeah and that's it's lovely a, it's a nice bit and uh, I'm actually reading the book at the moment and uh, the book reads quite so it's got the same kind of tone that the film does you know and um, yeah no it's a great book if you want to pick it up and you know have a read it's, it's really light you get through it in a few days um, so yeah so that was on last night have you seen anything else in the cinema recently I saw Zootropolis last weekend uh huh Loved it, really, really loved it. Because what is the film actually about? I mean, so is it, well, I'll P- give you is a, it Disney I'll, or Pixar? It's Disney, not Pixar. Okay. Straight, straight up Disney. I'll okay. give you the synopsis, and the synopsis doesn't sound that great. Basically, one of them ones where everyone's an animal, uh-huh. which you know sounds quite Disney, but um, and they talk. Yeah, and they and they all talk. So um, Judy Hopps is uh, a little rabbit, and she is the first rabbit cop. So she goes to from the kind of countryside to the big city, Zootropolis, uh-huh. um, and through you know circumstances, which I won't give away. It's like for, Watership for, Down meets Police Academy. Yeah, she has to solve some uh, a crime, missing persons crime, in forty eight hours, uh-huh. or she loses her job. Uh-huh. Has to team up with someone who she would normally like to. Sounds very cliched. That part of the film is actually really good and like surprisingly film noirish. Hmm. There are extended references to both The Godfather and Breaking Bad. Wow. Um, for the parents. And it's, yeah, for the parents, but it's, it's funny. It's about diversity and how, you know, it's not that uh, everyone should be great, like, you know, accept hmm. people's differences. Hmm. And people's differences are what make people. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> exactly. People's differences are what make people. Variety is the spice of life. Is what I was trying to get across. And officiating at tonight's ceremony, Joe Stevens. Yeah. Also visually spectacular as well. I think it's the first time they were able to kind of properly CG render um, animal fur. Yeah, yeah. In kind okay. of quite a quite realistic way. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was really good. I I thoroughly recommend it. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, um, I saw a couple. I saw a couple of movies. Didn't go to the cinema apart from the cinema film I saw. I saw Pure Country, which is a country music film. Yeah. Uh, with George Strait, the famous country singer, and it absolutely, really, just really run of the mill slosh. To be honest, it was. Uh, it was disappointing. Prop, it was proper mush. I mean, I I knew it was going to be mush. I was hungover, yeah. and I wanted something that was going to be like that. But yeah. retrospectively, it's, it's it doesn't really have much value yeah. as a film. Um, so yeah, so that's really, that's about it to be honest. Um, yeah. But should we should we get straight into it? What have we got coming up? 
So, uh, Samuel and I saw uh, an interesting film last night. The Brand New Testament. You probably haven't heard of it. Very limited release. Well, yeah, it's an absurdist Belgian film. Um, Look out for that. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm not going to say too much about it. Well, no, we'll leave that to the review. I saw Eddie the Eagle on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, I also saw this week for the first time, that's why we're doing it, Uh Annie Hall. Yes. Which is... Our classic. Yeah. Certified, like... Certified. It's pre-certified as a classic. Yeah, pre-certified. I'm not going to... It's not like, oh, Annie Hall slammed in minor podcast. (laughs) You didn't see it coming. (laughs) Um, Leon's career goes in a horrible spiral. (laughs) That famous turning point in her career. Um, And then we've got uh, Bullworth as our hidden gem at the end, which Joe has brought along and I watched this afternoon. So... Let's get straight into it. We'll be back in a minute. Hello and welcome back. So, as we were saying, we both trudged down the hill to Crouch End Picture House yesterday to watch uh, the brand new Testament. Yeah, so I saw about 45 seconds of the trailer um, and was confused. Samuel just heard it was a French film and that it was on in the cinema. At the right time. <laughs> at the right time, and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Well, I, it was funny, because I read the synopsis, but yeah. I didn't watch any footage. Yeah. And you watched the trailer, but you didn't read the synopsis. Yeah. So you went into it knowing it was going to be sort of this trippy, psychedelic experience. Yeah, and I went really into it, but not really knowing much yeah. about the plot. And I had no visual ideas at all, but I knew the plot was particularly strange. So, it's directed by uh, Jacques Van Dormel, who oh, is... Of course, yes. Yeah, the famous... Uh, no, he's quite pretty... He's directed about five or six. It's like a six movie. He's a, he's a Belgian um Show what a philistine I am. Yeah, I can't believe you don't... <laughs> uh, I can't believe that's news to you. Um, so, anyway, he's a yeah, Belgian filmmaker, and it's a kind of Bel- Belgian-French collaboration, the actors and actresses speaking in French, and quite a lot of them being French. Um, it's starring Pili Groin as uh, Ia, and she plays the little girl. And the first thing I thought when I saw the girl, on, she has quite long, dark hair, and she looks exactly like Jake Tremblay looks in Room. So that was my first thought. And you spent the movie thinking, I know that girl from She somewhere. really reminds me of someone. She, yeah, she really, really reminds me of someone. And it wasn't until I got out of the screening and said it. He was like, that's who it is. God damn it! Damn it, should have known... Like when Brie Larson in Room and Spectacular Now. Yeah. yeah, no, I wasn't, I didn't lose my shit quite as much as Samuel did. No, I was very upset by that. <laughs> anyway, we won't, we won't, we talked about that enough, both those movies. Yeah. Across like three podcasts. <laughs> um, so anyway, this, uh, so this character, Ia, she lives in Brussels with her mother and father in an apartment, and her father just happens to be God. Yeah, I th- well, I think the plot can be summed up in, I think, some of the first lines within the whole film is... God is real, he lives in Brussels, and he's a dick to his wife and his ten-year-old daughter. Yeah. And that's basically what you need to know for the setup. So so he so this is a film that has God as an actual a person who yeah. and he drinks and he smokes and he's verbally abusive and physically abusive to his wife and his daughter. Yeah. And when he's not sitting around drinking and smoking, watching sport on the television, um, he goes into this room, this endless room. Which reminds me of The Matrix. The guy, yeah, the Matrix. Yeah, yeah exactly. The Matrix. It looks exactly. It's it's a bit like the room that um, thingy sits in in the Matrix. Yeah. Um, and he just in the center of this room, there's a table 
with a laptop computer on it and he spends the whole time just making up humanity basically building the piece of humanity and making rules so he has several funny rules that he makes up his basic his basic task is to he sees his task as tormenting humanity and he calls things that's annoyances he, yeah that's how he gets his kicks really exactly yeah that's how it, yeah so he gets his kicks out of tormenting humanity so he makes up laws such as um sleep is something that you always no what is it? Um, you always need 10 minutes more sleep. The perfect amount of sleep is 10 minutes more. Yeah, the perfect amount of sleep is 10 minutes more. And um, toast always falls jam side down. Yeah, as soon as you sink your body into the bath, the phone goes. Yeah, and if you're in a queue, the other one is always moving faster yeah. than yours is. Yeah. So you kind of get the picture. And um, I'll just play you a little clip. It, it's in French. So, you know... This is for the French listeners, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, this is just an example. This is just an example of his monologue when he's making up these rules. So here it is. J'ai pris du temps, mais mine de rien, c'était assez au point. Mon père était arrivé à un certain degré de virtuosité. Depuis, il passait ses journées à inventer les nouvelles lois de l'emmerdement universel. Pour bien la formuler. Moi, 2110, la quantité de sommeil nécessaire est de 10 minutes de plus. Loi 2129, quand on plonge un corps dans la baignoire, le téléphone sonne. 2125, une tartine de confiture tombe toujours du côté de la confiture. Sinon, c'est que la confiture a été mise du mauvais côté. Loi 2126. On ne casse la vaisselle qu'après l'avoir lavée. <rire> Loi 2218. La file d'un côté avance toujours plus vite. Loi 2231. Un emmerdement n'arrive jamais seul. So that was a, a short clip from the film uh, in French for you, if you Belgians or, you know, not for you Flemish. Um, <laughs> so the the film, as we said, based around, you know, his, his daughter is really the main character. Mm. And as revenge for God being a general knob, um, she breaks into his big Matrix-style office, um, plans to escape, but... In one of her acts before she escapes, because she knows his this computer he types everything into is the key to everything, mm-hmm. she leaks everyone's inevitable death dates yeah. via text message. So everyone received a text basically saying the exact hour, minute, yeah. day of their you death. You will die in five years, ten years, 53 days, yeah, exactly. etc. Yeah. Um, so then... Cue funny montage of people receiving their dates, and this one guy who is like going to live to 102, and it just shows him surrounded by uh, hookers and yeah. cocaine, like celebrating yeah. and well, waving yeah, like his the death. Man, the man who will live the longest life. Yeah, yeah, the longest life so far. And then this other guy's going to live for 64 years, who just posts all these videos of himself like jumping out of planes and stuff yeah, like that, and miraculously jobs. surviving in every situation. But, you know, Aya escapes from this apartment. She lives with God and her mother. Yeah, so um, she, she shuts down world. the computer. Yeah. She shuts down the computer, and her father needs to restart the computer in order to take the death dates back, because he says 
And this is really the central focus of the film. He says that once you tell people when their their day of death is, when you know their fate is going to come, you lose complete you completely lose control over them because yeah. that's what people are people are cautious when they think there's a possibility you might die. Yeah. And when they know, you know, what happens when you know your fate, you you then feel empowered, you know. And I think that is the central philosophical question yeah the and there's and you know when she says she's going to go down and well he doesn't know this but she says she, well she's going to go down and get six more um prophets not prophets yeah uh apostles apostles, apostles. and so you know what if she teaches them to deal with their shit yeah which yeah. was one of the, one of my favorite quotes mm. um so you know, that's the basic setup she goes down escapes to earth as this girl who knows nothing of the real world mm. um, finds these six apostles who and know she has her this, death dates. She has a tramp who P- picked at random. Goes well. a, she has a tramp who goes around with her, yeah. and he records the events as he sees them. So yeah. he's basically writing the brand new testament. That's the idea of it. She wants to rewrite the work that her father's done, the negative work that her father's done. She wants to rewrite that and make you know redeem humanity and. Um, you know, make them happy again. And and what happens is all the apostles that she meets are people who, there's an angle, you know, they're, they're unhappy with certain parts of their lives mm. and they're troubled souls. Like one's a sex addict, the other is a, a lonely housewife. The one's a sociopath. One's a sociopath. And so all of these people that she meets, um, through the combination of, um, you know, her powers and her understanding of the world and also the fact that they know when they're going to die, that combination allows them to find a new lease of life. And that's basically the process that the film goes through then. And I think from a religious point of view, I don't really want to dwell on this too much because I don't really like talking about, Mm. you know, religion or something. And I prefer to talk about films as they work as films. But I think that it, it, it has the idea that this, you know, getting back to basics and what religion means for a lot of people is is having an angle, you know, a positive angle to their lives and finding yeah. something new about themselves. Yeah. And, and the old God represents this, you know, incredibly punishing and and very restrictive form of yeah, structural form of religion. You know, yeah. he will mess you around for no reason at all, Yeah, which is you know, how he's portrayed and how some people will feel about him. Um, I for me, I I really like the film. I enjoyed mm. it. I think far more than I expected to. Mm. Um, you know, again, I I liked the angle of God as a middle aged bastard who mm. messes around people with people for fun, mm. um, and this little girl liberating everyone. Um, and I I like the idea, you know, how what people react when they find out their death dates. I th- the film had a bit of a lull in the middle. Yeah, it kind of. I think it became a little bit too obsessed with its own idea and in love with its own... With the idea of the apostles, and they each have their own chapter. Yeah. I thought it picked up towards the end. It's not a very plot-driven film. It's there's, not. There's not a point all. halfway through, as you mentioned, where you do begin to think, I'm enjoying all these little sequences, mm. but I really don't... I'm, I have no idea where it's going, and not particularly in a good way. Do you know what I mean? But again... Yeah, and I, I'm going to say... I'm not going to give it's not too much of a spoiler, but the gorilla bit... Yeah. I was like, okay, I could go I, along with I this. I like the gorilla bit. I like the gorilla bit. It was quite funny, but I was like, it's absurd, but I could go along with this. I could go along with this. This is the bit where this the is, lonely this housewife... Is, this is too far. The lonely, <laughs> I didn't think that at all. No, no, but too far. Is it not funny? But is it well, like, let's just explain. No one knows what we're talking okay. about. So the, the, do, you, do you want plot spoil? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, it's not a plot spoil. It's just a piece. There is no the, plot. There, there is no plot. There okay. are no spoilers. Um, the, the lonely housewife, who's neglected by her husband and who has yeah. very little time to live... 
she has a relationship with a male prostitute, and then she begins this relationship with a silverback gorilla. After Aya translates between the two? Yes. One of her several powers. That After she, she explains what the gorilla's thinking yeah. and what she's thinking to the gorilla. Yeah. And so she ends up in bed with this gorilla, not in a sort of... You don't see, you know, nothing, nothing's weird. Uh, Well, everything's weird. (laughs) And then the gorilla beats up her husband. And it was the point in the, it was the point in the film where you're thinking, Jesus Christ, I mean, this is really, you know, you've asked me to suspend my disbelief this long and now you're really trying me. But I, I didn't mind that, to be honest. I thought that was, I thought, I just thought it was very funny. It was funny. I figured it was going to a different film, but I thought the film picked up at the end with the semi relationship between Aya, who's the protagonist of the film, and the last um, disciple, who's a little boy, um, yeah. again, age 10, called yeah. Willie. Um, who, who doesn't have that long to live. He doesn't have that long to live. And decides he wants to be a, a girl. girl. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, that's something that's been inside him, and now that he knows he doesn't have long to live, yeah. he just decides, well, you know, what the hell. So, I thought like we've explained the entire plot from start to finish. Um, well, in a way, but there's a, a lot. There's a lot to miss. There's a lot to discuss. And it's the little things of the mm. film that I really like. Just the little, little kind of side jokes, uh, the idiosyncrasies, um, and just I, I liked how original it was. I think a lot of films yeah. are just kind of porridge and what makes loads of money reboots. Mm. What makes loads of money? Oh sequels, God, this was what makes loads of money. Superhero movies. I want to make a film about yeah. you know it can. Uh, an interesting take on a frequent concept. It's not completely original, but I mm. almost prefer that. Something we think about all the time, mm. but a different take on it. Yeah, I mean, you won't have seen a film like this before. Never. Very, extremely bizarre. And I mean, I would be careful. It's the kind of film where it's like, do you want to go and see it drunk? Do you want to go and see it you know, don't, under the influence of something? Much. I don't I think that would be a very good idea, because be this film is the kind of film it. where you come out and you're like, you feel slightly under the influence of something. Go see it with someone else as well, just so you can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so glad Joe went to see it with me, because he only joined at the last minute. But it's a surprisingly nice film. I wasn't expecting it to be so hmm. kind of well, she, good-hearted. She's trying, to, she's trying to, you know, the whole brand New Testament yeah. thing is her trying to, to rewrite, you know, the bad work yeah. that her father's done. So, yeah, yeah. It, is a, it is an up, uplifting film. Yeah. Even though it's not a film that you necessarily, especially if you're not religious like I'm not, yeah. it, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of reference points to it. Yeah. You can relate to the apostles, you know, you can relate to those characters, those troubled characters. Yeah. You know, and those are reference points, you know those people exist. But in a kind of very f- European way, those mannerisms are pushed to the extreme. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? These aren't... These are absurd versions of people that you would expect to see in real life, yeah. Yeah, and you were saying it reminded me of Amelie in the way that it focuses on their little idiosyncrasies and, and imperfections. Yeah. It was a bit like... I thought it was a bit like Amelie. It's yeah. the only film I thought of when I was watching it. It's one of the only other French films I've seen. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a good <laughs> reference point. <laughs> Convenient. So, anyway, that was... Um, the Brand New Testament. <laughs> Samuel flips over his prompt card. <laughs> no, I knew what it was called. That's The Brand New Testament. Um, yeah, if you want a cinematic experience which is not run-of-the-mill and not what you would find in the average multiplex, not that you would find this in the multiplex, then get down to your local art house cinema and see it while it's still there. Thank you, Picture House. Coming up next, we've got Change Ed- of Tone. Eddie Eagle. See you in a bit.
Welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. You just heard our review of the brand new Testament. Well, my review. Thanks for the It was our first film together, Samuel. How could you just discard that? true. It was the first time we've been to cinema together. What a funny one to start with. Yeah, really weird. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to forget that one. (laughs) In no hurry at all. No. Um, So I saw Eddie the Eagle on Saturday night. Um, And so this is the film based on the 80s Olympic... Uh, kind of British Olympic folk hero, I'd say. You've all seen the posters. You've all seen the posters. And some of you may know the character. So this is a guy who went to the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary Mm -hmm. um, as the only British ski jumper. The only British ski jumper since the 1920s. Right, okay. Um, So Eddie Edwards is a young guy. He grows up in... I probably should do my research, but in the film, just set in random working class town in England, uh-huh. dreams of becoming um, uh, an Olympic athlete. And it's, you know... Specifically in ski jumping? No, just an Olympic Just athlete. anything, right. Yeah, okay. because he, you know, he, he'd hurt his knee when he was a kid and he was in hospital for a year. And he just, he loved, you know, running about. And he, mm. there's a whole montage of him doing, trying loads of stuff, of trying the pole vault and um, shot put and stuff and breaking his parents' windows. Um, but, you know, he, he sees a, a ski run one day, like a dry ski run you see in England sometimes, uh-huh. and tries to be a, a downhill skier. And, you know, the film doesn't portray him very well, but apparently Eddie Edwards, the real Eddie Edwards, is actually a very good downhill skier. Right. Uh, but he didn't make the team. Someone suggested because of, you know, his working class background and the Olympics is very much kind of, you know, white-teethed, um, middle class kind mm. of thing where, especially back then when they had relying heavily on private sponsorship... Mm-hmm. for the Olympic teams, you want the the right kind of image. So, Eddie Edwards, distraught, um, discovers, somewhere or another, that as well as downhill skiing, there is ski jumping. Um, so, packs his bags, goes off to Germany. He's never tried ski jumping before. Goes, goes off to Germany, to the kind of ski jumping headquarters, and tries from scratch to learn. There, he meets Hugh Jackman, um, convinces him after a while to train him, and the rest is Olympic history. It, you know, it's it's a film about. <laughs> I have to say, I've seen the posters. Yeah. And I've seen. I think it's one of those posters that has all those really bad, um, you know, like snippets of reviews on it, like oh, the most heartwarming British film Uplifting. since Billy Elliot and all that. And I just thought, Jesus Christ! There's actually you know, it just makes me put my head in my hands. But I never knew if it was any good because I actually haven't heard any reviews of it. There's a there's a funny reference to Billy Elliot when he's you know, he's going ski ski jumping and he's saying his dad and his dad who's somewhat caricature, played by Keith Allen actually. Okay. All people. Um, and he's like, oh, you name a ski jump. I don't know any ski jumpers. Be a plaster, Eddie. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, I've done. it's not like I'm doing ballet, which I thought was you know, quite a, oh, a right, funny yeah, reference yeah, to okay. another 80s, yeah. um, you know, underdog yes. British sporting film. And actually there's an, uh, references to Cool Runnings, which was also at the 88 okay. um, Winter Olympics. But I'll, I'll, I'll play a clip? short clip. Great. Mum. Where's my purple rucksack? Under the stairs. Thank you. Why well, are you going camping? No. Going to Germany. Coach leaving very soon. Sorry, Dad, I've got to get on them slopes. Oh, no, not this again, no. Excuse me. Hang on. What am I going to tell your plastering teacher? 
and then we've made new plans. New plans? What plans? I'm going to be an Olympic ski jumper. This is some kind of joke, right? Dad, it's not like I'm taking up ballet. It's still skiing. It's just a bit higher. You name me one, one but a ski jumper. Me. Eddie Edwards. Mm. So, you know, you heard the clip there and the, the reference to Billy Elliot. Yes. Um, so that's Eddie Edwards deciding he's going to leave for Germany. Mm. Um, and, so, you know, I'll, I'll start with the good points. First off, that's a cameo from Christopher Walken, oh, which you're always going to love. It's it's one of two cameos you Tell me hear. how many minutes in it is so that I can just skip to it. Probably about on. five in total. Right, but, you know, okay. there's there's pictures of him throughout, and, like, he's hinted at, oh, my God, Christopher Walken's in there. What does he, what does he, who does he play? Christopher Walken? He plays, so, so Hugh Jackman, who is um, Eddie his the coach. Tra- he's his coach, yeah. who's actually a composite character, so he's made up of kind of... Um, Eddie's the real life Eddie's various different um, coaches. Okay. Um, so you know Hugh Jackman plays this old injured pro um, who's a drunk who you know does runs the ski plow in Germany. Um, so he he plays Hugh Jackman's old trainer. Hmm. Secondly, I think the film you know it's you can tell there actually from all the things I like about the film is the the cool not cool but nice eighties kind of synth. Mm. Soundtrack and the mm. upbeat da na 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 na. We just discovered since guys, um, quite, quite kind of soundtrack. Yeah, um, it looks quite retro as well. It, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's got it. it's got a very retro look and it's got a very very good kind of sense of time and place to it. I think uh-huh. it's good nails the eighties thing, uh-huh. bang on the head. Um, I think the film improves once Hugh Jackman gets properly involved. I I really like Hugh Jackman. And when I saw the posters, I'm not sure if you thought this. But I thought, oh, you know, Taron Egerton looks very 80s, and Hugh Jackman looks kind of out of place. They just shoehorn him in this film. I did think it was strange that he was in it. That he was in it. Makes total sense. He's one of the best things about the film. And he fits in quite well. He fits in quite well, and he gives it a lot of energy. You don't keep saying, why is Hugh Jackman? No, not at all. Not at all. He's one of the best things about it. Mm. Um, And it's general message of, you know, it's... And it sounds as if it's cheesy in what you tell kids who aren't very good at sport... But, you know, it's the taking part that counts. And, you know, Eddie... Didn't he come, like, last by a mile? Yeah, no, he did. But it was his his journey. And, you know, the the British Olympic body kept on putting um, barriers in front of him to get get there in the first place. Uh And he kept on going. Uh Um, And it's the fact that he was there in the first place whatsoever. And the fact that he he makes the jumps at all, whether, whether he does or not... Feels as much of a triumph as any as any record, and you you genuinely feel that. You so did you get that warm uplifting feeling? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I genuinely did. And the ski jumps are very well done. They got the kind of point of view shots, and you know, ski ski jumping is mental. It is you are running for ninety meter, hmm. you know, straight down slope. You have to kind of fold your body. So your skis. Okay. <laughs> We're on the radio. We're Jeff. on the radio. There's no but you point demonstrating it to me. You have to put your body kind of completely rigid uh-huh. and lean as far forward as you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, flying through the air about seventy miles an hour. Mm. Nothing to protect you apart from a helmet. Mm. It's it's an insane sport. Mm. Um, uh, but you really get the the feeling of getting behind Eddie, and that that's what I really liked. Not so good points. I thought it was too long. I thought. The, the stuff in Germany could have been cut down. The stuff before Germany 
Where no, he's living in England, could have been cut down as well. All the characters, but the yeah, um, some slight caricatures. No, you know, no disrespect to Keith Allen. I think he he did well, but his character as the dad, I thought was slightly caricature. It's quite well trodden territory. Yeah, that just oh, I don't believe you. Be yeah. a plasterer. Don't follow your dreams. What you're doing, son. Yeah, we've, it's quite we've well seen that. We've seen that guy before. Yeah, we, we've seen that a lot. Um, and you know there are there are better underdog films. Who I really liked was the one who played um, Eddie's mum called like, Joe Winter. I think her name. I recognise. I recognise her. Yeah, and she's she. I think she's a real heart of the film, and she's the one who keeps Eddie going mm-hmm. um, throughout you know, his his entire life, really. Yeah. And make sure he keeps going and believes in himself. And that's I think she's the real heart of the film and the real um, kind of you no know, the the silent power behind the film. I think. Compare it to uh, Rocky, which is our other to Rocky. Oh, underdog Ro- sporting. Yeah. Rocky's obviously better. Uh, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. If you accept it for what it is, yeah. you'll like it. If you you have kind of pre delusions of grandeur of what it what it may be, then you're not. But you know, it's a. I don't think anyone would have to go along with the bus going reviews. into Eddie the Eagle. But you know, it's like, oh, the bus reviews looked. Shit. Yeah. Go along with the bus reviews. It's uplifting, you know. So it actually is uplifting. I think, yeah. Because how many times have you seen uplifting on a poster and not been uplifted and been disappointed by it? A fair few times. The soundtrack's a lot to do with it. The way the ski jumps are done. I think Taron Egerton does a, a very good job of getting you kind of sympathetic to a guy who can't really win hmm. um, as, as Eddie. I'm not completely sold, but... I give it a chance. I, I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't in love with the film. I quite liked it. And I wanted to like it. That's the main thing. Well, I that's the different. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to like. I it. think if you went along with a cynical mind, you'd probably find a lot not to. Yeah, but if you're going along with a cynical, cynical you wouldn't. Mind well, no one with a cynical mind would go and watch Eddie the Eagle. Yeah, then you're wasting your money. There we go. Go and watch Eddie the Eagle, and you'll be wasting your money. With an open heart and an open mind. <laughs> Up next, it's Sammy Hall. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back. So we just had Eddie the Eagle and moving on to our classic section. Last film we did was Rocky and now we're coming up to Annie Hall, directed by, obviously, directed by, written by, starring Woody Allen. and None other than the legend. The legend Woody Allen, exactly. Despite Joe hasn't actually seen many of Woody Allen's films. No, I haven't. You know, someone who refers to myself, no one else refers to me as a, a cinephile. Uh-huh. Um, I I feel like I haven't seen enough Woody Allen, and I was going through it on Netflix with a few of my friends. I was like, I haven't seen this. I need to see Annie Hall, mm. um, and I loved it. It was everything that I I hoped it would be, <laughs> and more. Yeah, it is brilliant. Um, well, so so we plot quickly. Uh, Woody Allen is a neurotic forty-year-old. Living in New York, as yeah, a lot of his you know, films some successful York. comedian is on TV. Some people recognise him. Yeah, exactly. But he's not sort of in the limelight. No. You know, he writes jokes for other people. And yeah, he thinks other people, other people, other comedians are really terrible, and wishes he had the courage to do his own jokes. Yeah. Um, and he meets Annie Hall, who is played by none other than Diane Keaton. Obviously. Yeah, and I think she's mid twenties. I think she must be older than that. She'd be in her thirties. Yeah, maybe. Nineteen seventy-seven. She looks. Uh, she looks a fair bit younger than him. Mm, yeah. She is. Um, yeah. So she's kind of this ditzy, 
kooky girl who doesn't particularly seem to have her life together. And um, we've got a clip, actually, of their first meeting. So should we get straight into it? Just just roll it, roll it, Samuel. Just roll it. Okay. Hi. 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 Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> well, bye. <laughs> you... You play very well. Oh, yeah? So do you. Oh, God, what a, what a dumb thing to say, right? I mean, you say it, you play well, and then right away, I have to say you play well. Oh, oh, God, Annie. Well, oh, well. <laughs> la-di-da, la-di-da, la-la, yeah. Uh, you, you want a lift? Oh, why? Uh, y- you got a car? No, I'm, I was going to take a cab. Oh, no, I have a car. You have a car? So, <clears throat> I don't understand. If you have a car, so then, then why, why did you say, do you have a car, like you wanted a lift? I don't, I don't, I, jeez, I don't know. I, I wasn't, <laughs> it's, I got this VW out there. <laughs> what a jerk, yeah. Would you like a lift? <laughs> sure. Which way are you going? Me? Um, downtown. I'm, I'm, I'm going uptown. Oh, well, you know, I'm going uptown, too. No, wait a you just said you were going downtown. Yeah, well, um, but I can... So, oh. sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can go uptown, too. I live uptown, but uh, what the hell? I mean, it'd be nice having company, you know? I mean, I hate driving alone. Yeah? La-dee-da. 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 So, I, I always remember that uh, Mark Commode quote where he says, Diane Keith and going la-dee-da in, um, in Annie Hall is the closest you can get to Kooky without, um, without annoying him. And I think... It's probably true for me as well, actually. I, I usually find those characters, um, you know, who just... Well, we were talking about uh, 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Where she's quite sort of flimsy and, you know, whimsical and, you know, kooky. Um, those characters usually quite annoy me because they just seem quite indulgent and um, not very well played. But Diane Keaton here just is absolutely perfect. In this Nails film. it. And she, I think, is what makes the film really. Obviously... You know, Woody Allen's inventive writing. So the basic plotline of the film is um, their relationship. And it jumps back and forth. You know, the, there's no real structure of the chronology. There's kind of loads of leaps into the fantastical um, kind of time travel bits. Where they, they Not time travel bits, but, but they leap it back into his childhood. Um, there's the famous scene where they're talking and there's subtitles about what they really think. And really inventive little pieces from Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's, you know, his direction is one part of it, but it wouldn't work at all without Diane Keaton. Mm. I think she's, she mm. really carries the film. Mm. Um, but it is still essentially a film about Woody Allen's character, I think. You know, he is... Despite the, the fact that it's called Annie Hall. Yeah, I know, but a lot of times you get those films that are about, you know, like Room. People yeah. think it was about Jake Tremblay's character. It's actually really about the mother. About, about do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think this film, you know, it opens with that Woody Allen monologue, and you know, he says, you know, that you know that joke about two women having having lunch in a restaurant, you know, and they say, I do, Samuel. Uh, <laughs> oh, also, also joking. Oh yeah, yeah. God, the food here is terrible. I know, in such small portions, and that's kind of how I feel about life. It's uh, full of pain and suffering, and it's all over far too quickly. Yeah, and that you know that's I think that that kind of gives you an indication of it's a you know a neurotic man's exploration of 
Falling what, in love. Of why? Well, yeah, falling in love. But why is he? You know, why does he overthink everything so much? And yeah. you know, and it was interesting the point that you made about structure. Um, because it is a film that lacks structure in a way because it's always darting around, but when you get to the ending, and the ending is my, it's one of my favourite film endings of all time, um, because he... I'm not, I'm not going to give away the plot, but um, he writes a play which changes, which is a reflection on his life, but changes a very key, element, part, of key part of his life and yeah. his relationship with, with Annie Hall. And it, it's that question... You know, are all artists trying to rewrite their lives yeah. in a way that they would like them to be seen? Or do you know what I mean? And yeah, no, exactly. I thought that was, that was really clever. Is that, that what that art is about? Really, really chuckle. I think you know the the structure jumping around is is great and it's fine and um, reminded me a lot of how much it must have influenced Five Hundred Days of Summer uh-huh. in the way that that jumps around all the time and has um, you know a, a kind of kooky female. Lead. You didn't really like Hundred Days of Summer. I really like Hundred Days really of Summer. Like the other thing it reminded me of in terms of that film is its little leaps into fantasy. The mm. bit where um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character walks back from um, sleeping with Zoe Deschanel for the first time and looks in the mirror and he sees Han Solo and he's walking along and everyone's kind of singing and dancing around him. That's the kind of the little things that Woody Allen would drop into this. Mm. I feel like, um, but I I do feel like I lost interest kind of half. Not halfway, but my interest waned a little bit because it was jumping around back and forth so much. Also, Paul Simon's in this film. The yeah, se- I didn't know. The, I forgot that. The second Christopher Walken cameo of the week. And I also think I saw Jeff Goldblum randomly as an extra. I th- are you sure? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he was in Manhattan, so that's possible. Yeah, that's possible. Oh, no, he, was he? No, no, that was for paid... Right, he might have been in Manhattan. Sorry, you know, yeah, someone write in Goldblum, and tell me wrong. Jeff Goldblum is like a random guy in Paul Simon character's house. And it's also got the famous scene where um, <clears throat> they offer Woody Allen cocaine and he sneezes on it. And I told Joe, he didn't realise this, but uh, that was actually impromptu. And Woody Allen genuinely sneezed on the coke when they presented it to him. And they just left it in, obviously, because it's, you know, genius. Yeah, yeah, you think that's like fantastic writing. Yeah, you're, you're like, like, God, how did they think of that? And actually, you know, it actually happened in the movie. Um, but I love, just coming back to the ending, I love that bit at the end when he says... Um, you know, where he meets up with Annie after a number of years and they're not together and he says, I remembered what a terrific person yeah. she was and how great it was just knowing her. And you kind of feel like he he's kind of make, trying to make it right in his mind yeah. and really he wishes that it had been something more. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But he, when you try and make the best really of a situation... saying what a fantastic person she is. Yeah, and how, how I'm so I'm grateful. St- I'm still in love with her. Yeah, and I'm grateful that I knew her means really, yeah... I, still in love with her and yeah. you know wish she was still a part of my life and yeah. that part of my life so I just think it's really interesting because while his character is nitpicking apart his whole life I mean he's neurotic that's what he's doing yeah. do you know what I mean he's, he's exploring that to the ultimate depths he's also refashioning it in a way do you know what I mean yeah. so there's that covering up at the same time as examining which I find really fascinating yeah my favourite Woody Allen film I saw Manhattan I was a bit disappointed you like Manhattan yeah I love Manhattan but yeah. you prefer I've, Annie, yeah, Annie Hall is probably my favourite Woody Allen film it's, I think it's most people's favourite Woody Allen yeah. film Diane Keaton that, yeah Diane, yeah just go and see it for, uh, see it for Diane Keaton saying la di da la di da la di da right up next Bullworth Coming up. 
back to everyone's a critic. You just heard Annie Hall, Lardy Dar. Certified classic. Should we certified. Just, we didn't say, but yeah, certified classic. Yeah, Woody Allen, your career's still going, don't worry. We could have wrecked it, but we decided to have mercy on you. Because you made a good film in the 70s. Well done. Um, but, you know, we're going to reflect now on a, a good film made in the 90s that, you know, I think it got a fair amount of critics praise when it first came out, but I don't know many other people our age who know it, or a lot of people who know it. Have you heard this film before I mentioned it to I you? I hadn't heard of it, and uh, I, I, you know, I read a little bit about it, and I think it made its budget back, but it but wasn't, not a much big, wasn't a big blockbuster. No. no. So, uh, it's Bullworth, so it's 19, 1998, uh, so it's written, directed, and starring Warren Beatty as a senator from California, um, and yeah, he's just going through the motions doing his Democratic primary. Yeah, he's um, he's trying to get re-elected, and yeah. over the years, uh, he's had to. He's a Democrat, but he's had to shift his policies sort of more central. Yeah, and he's also been backed a lot financially by um, like these insurance companies and yeah. stuff. So he's he's kind of disillusioned with the political world, really. Yeah, and it's um, kind of how he he gets very little sleep, like you know how I may be tomorrow. Yeah, um, and and slowly loses it. I, I'm not sure how, how much I want to go into more than that, because I went into the film knowing very little about it. Did you know anything about it, really? No, I read a little bit of synopsis. Yeah. but I, only, only the first little bit. First little bit. But I think it, it benefits from not knowing a huge amount about it. It kind of starts in everything, everyone's bustling around, yeah. and it's extremely serious political environment. You know, it's a bit sort of... Um, it's a bit like the thick of it, you know, but without the humour, that kind of atmosphere yeah. where, you know, there's a hundred things happening at once and he's just sort of sat there thinking, yeah. oh shit, you yeah. know. Um, and as you said, yeah, he's stressed, he looks terrible. And we should probably tell the main plot, the main plot device. So the main plot device is he's uh, disillusioned with life, plot point, um, and he takes a hit out on himself. So he can get life insurance, so he can, you know, get some money for his kids. Yeah, so he takes out $10 million, uh, $10 million life insurance uh, against his own life, obviously. Yeah. Um, pays a hitman. And then pays a hitman to come and kill him. Yeah. And then sort of regrets doing it and tries to call off the hitman. Yeah. So the film kind of follows him on the campaign trail while he's slowly losing faith in politics and slowly losing... Um, a grasp on his on his mind, basically, yeah. um, while getting... simultaneously having to avoid a hitman who may or may not be trying to kill him, who he himself has hired. But perhaps, for once in his political career, getting to grips with reality. Getting to grips with reality. Yes, exactly. Although he's lo- although it might look like he's losing it, maybe it's at this point that he starts speaking the truth. Let's hear a clip where that might be the case. Nice. Less is more. The riots and civil unrest went down about four years ago. You promised us federal funding to rebuild our community. What happened? Well, what happened was that uh, we all knew that was going to be big news for a while, so we all came down here, Bush, Clinton, Wilson, all of us, we got our pictures taken, told you what you wanted to hear, and we, we pretty much forgot about it. Did he just say what I think he said? Let's see where he's going with this. We can't get health insurance. 
fire insurance, life insurance. Why haven't you come out for Senate Bill 2720? Well, because you, you haven't really contributed any money to my campaign, have you? You got any idea how much these insurance companies come up with? They pretty much depend on me to get a bill like that and bottle it up in my committee during an election. And in that way, we can kill it when you're not looking. So that was a short clip from Bullworth. And somehow we forgot to mention the fact that it features a very early performance from Halle Berry. As really good performance. Really good performance. Better than yeah. Catwoman. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty low <laughs> bar you set there, Samuel. Uh, yeah, a million miles better than Catwoman. Um, I think, you know, actually surprisingly nuanced. Yeah, no, it was. And, I mean, uh, after that clip, he basically starts to get into hip-hop and integrate himself into the African-American community in Detroit area. South Central Los Angeles. Okay. I don't don't really know about American. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, Yeah, so he sort of starts to integrate himself into the hip-hop culture, which is extremely bizarre. And in all his... As this middle-aged white dude. Yeah, and starts going around in sunglasses indoors and wearing a sort of beanie hat and yeah. um, and doing all his debates in rhymes. And it is very funny. Those those sequences had me, you know, in stitches basically. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a very strange beast, really, because it's sort of politics meets. Yeah, I think politics step up. Absurdist politics meets uh, the truth, and I think it's. I think if you watch it again, it's I think oddly timely in how bizarre this the most recent you know U.S. presidential election has been. Yeah, it, it, you know, yeah, uh, I, uh, I was thinking of Donald Trump. A Bullworth some... character wouldn't be out of place, really. I don't no, think. Trump makes him look pretty normal, actually. Yeah, very normal. <laughs> he's like Trump in the way that he's kind of doesn't make a huge amount of sense in his speeches in terms of narrative, but is a extremely, lot less racist. Extremely personable. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of political satire films out there. You know, there was that um, Will Ferrell one with, um, it's called The Campaign. Yeah. Him. It's like I feel like, you know, they were trying to kind of harness a humour that's what they have in Bullworth, you know, but just didn't quite manage it. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, a lot has been highlighted um, recently because I think of Bernie Sanders about how much kind of campaign finance and, you know... Uh, no, what's the word? Influences politics. That's why I don't have a dissertation on. Hmm. Um, but you know, back in the nineties, to openly say that to our insurance companies running politicians' hmm. campaigns, I think it was actually quite different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it was it was quite brave, and you know, he he did make a huge amount of money off this Warren Beatty. But I think it's a film that he really wanted to make. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Yeah, that's how it's pronounced. I looked yeah. it up. Yeah. I I really enjoyed it. I remember seeing it first when I was about 12. Uh-huh. Um, that was a weird film to see when you were 12, though. Did you... Yeah, I didn't choose it myself. My, my brother was like, I think we'll both enjoy this. And I did enjoy it. Yeah. And then I re-watched it last year. I mean, I watched it on, on my own. I'd quite like to watch it in a group of people because I think that, you'd, you know, especially after a couple of beers, that's exactly the yeah. kind of film you could sit down and watch and happily laugh for a couple of hours straight. You yeah, know? but also makes you think a bit afterwards, which is unusual for a comedy. Yeah, well, the best comedies do. Yeah, yeah, but which almost kind of makes comedy the hardest genre. Comedy is the hardest genre. People always yeah. think it's you know it's easy, so, but it's not. You know, four weddings and a funeral. Everyone, how many? How the fuck do you write that, Samuel? Well, look, how many? Uh, you know, four weddings. How many terrible films has it spawned? Thinking 
that, oh, you know, it's easy. You just this throw in a couple weddings. of weddings and, you know, and they literally just follow the same format, but the jokes are just terrible and they just don't understand what made that film great, you know. It's just a perfect example of, in my opinion, a perfect example of a, one of one of the greatest, uh, you know, romantic comedies in terms of its structure and, you know, gags and performances. Um, but and a sly ensemble cast. Exactly. So that's what it is. It's an ensemble piece. With a fantastic performance by Hugh Grant and a equally on the other scale, terrible performance by um, Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell. Um, you know, is it raining? I hadn't noticed. But yeah, see Bullworth. I, I think <laughs> you'll you'll enjoy it. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah, certified uh, hidden gem. So glad to get that out there. Hopefully it'll be on BBC Two next week. I can only dream, Samuel. <laughs> I can only dream. Well, that concludes uh, this show. Thanks very much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and we'll we'll see you in a couple of weeks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.